Woo. Our scripture reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 12, and again, verses 21 through 27, and then 46. When David's time to draw near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of your Lord God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me. If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." Moreover, you also know that Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in the time of peace for blood that he had been shed in the war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. But deal loyally with the sons of Brazili, the Gideonite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And there's also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Berhurim, who cursed you with a grievous curse on that day when I went to Manaheim. And when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years he reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 in the years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Then verse 21 says, She said, Let Abishab the Shumanite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishab the Shumanite for Adonijah? Ask him for the kingdom also. For he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest, and Joab the son of Jeruai. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me, and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. And therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon put Benai and the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, Go to Anoth, to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. In verse 46, Then the king commanded Benai, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and he struck him and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon.
Praise be to God for his word. Good morning again. Again, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we continue the book of Kings, um, like last week, there is a lot of application for our country and city as we continue down this journey, um, not only as a city and country, but as a church. You know, on Wednesday night, we're having a discussion, discussion on wrestling with diversity and race and ethnicity and poverty and class. And if you haven't been able to come to that, I urge you to come on Wednesday night, beginning at 6.30. We have dinner for you at 5.30 if you want to be a part of that. But as we continue down that journey in dealing with race and ethnicity and poverty and authority, brought to the surface in this city recently by the killing of Keith Scott by police officers and all the stuff about the tapes and what is being released and what the chief of police and the mayor have seen and know and all of that stuff, not only here but in other cities, and there is this big rift between those in authority and those who feel like they represent a group that has been done unjustly, currently and historically. For our struggles with authorities <laughs> and being the authorities in certain situations, First Kings offers some direction and some help and hope for what can be described as the glory and gap of middle management. So last week, King David, old and on his last leg, took a final stand as king in stopping his son, Adonijah, from usurping, taking unauthorized leadership of the kingdom, and making sure the rightful heir, his other son, Solomon, was enthroned. So we come now, the coronation is over, and it's time for a former king to new king talk. And the Bible tells us that, that King David gives his son the new king Solomon, the rundown of what it means to be king. And in addition to that, to inform Solomon of some loose ends in the way of threats to the kingship that he, David, didn't and couldn't deal with, but now needed to be Solomon's new responsibility to take care of. And so David gives Solomon some suggestions on how to do just that, to secure the kingdom. In this chapter, if you were to read the whole thing, we read the advice uh, that uh, in your reading, the, uh, in your bulletin is the advice David gives to Solomon, but most of the chapter is Solomon actually carrying out the advice of his father. And this chapter is like a scene from a mob movie, right, where the mob bob mob boss decides to clean house. Or it's like one of those espionage, born identity, or mission impossible type movies where to keep things clean, the government is going out and going to eliminate all of their top secret agents that they sent out to do undercover dirty work, but now don't want hanging around with all of those secrets. So people start getting exterminated by the order of King Solomon, the king of Israel who is also the God of the Bible's earthly leader over his chosen people and kingdom. And as we explore the motives and messages behind Solomon's actions, we will discover that there is a real glory and a gap in his leadership. For us to better understand how we should live in this topsy-turvy world, right, of, of 
of authorities and subjects and leaders and followers of which we are both, there are three things this passage shows us that I want us to see today. First, that God uses earthly authorities for his glory. Secondly, human authorities fall short of God's glory. And finally, Jesus comes to forever fill the gap of human authority. This narrative of Solomon's beginnings reminds us that the Bible teaches from beginning to end that God has chosen to use earthly authorities to bring his glory on earth, which means God has put places of authority in this world to be filled by people to ensure and offer God's common benefits of justice and security and peace and prosperity. And that authority can mean judgment and discipline. And like we see here in this passage, death and exile and relocation and house arrest to be determined and enforced by the wisdom of the person in office or in authority or in positions of leadership. It's why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in instructing how Christians should live their new faith in this world, described this very thing. He said he teaches that God has set up authorities. He has places of leadership to be staffed by human beings for his original and good purposes. In fact, the Bible calls our governmental authorities in that passage ministers. And some countries still call their leaders ministers or prime ministers, right? But it is God, the Lord, y'all, that clears these authorities to use at their disposal courts and incarceration and fines and extradition and judgment and awards and welfare and agencies and help and institutions and patrol and armies and all sorts of penalties along with all sorts of social benefits to bring to earth from God what we as a people in any country or any situation should be getting. But not just the highest places of governmental authority, right? There's all kind of authorities. God has put in place some of you as parents and mothers and fathers and big brothers and pastors and teachers and principals of school with names like Papa and Mama and Father and Reverend and Doctor and Mr. and Mrs. and Auntie and Uncle and Honey and Baby even, right? Face it. Amen. There are places of positional and responsible authority in every part of life that God has established, firmly established, as verse 12 says here. Mean, means they're established from God's eternal thinking, right? His divine thought, his divine plan is to, is to establish these places of authority and teaches us how to follow and to lead. And to exist. So here's the application. We show respect. <laughs> Even though we, no one is better than anyone else. We are called by God to give weight. And we give gravity to those in authority. As if their place or position is one that God has established and called them to. So kids, obey parents. Listen to your teachers. Teachers, listen to principals. And principals, listen to superintendents. And members to their elders and pastors and on and on. And employees respect and follow their various supervisors above them. And we are to listen to the words of our officials and authorities. I know there is some tension in this right now, but it's still true that if there is a blue light coming behind you, you must stop somehow, some way. Even, 
If the person takes a ticket from you at a performance uptown, the usher, and they say, your seats are over here, go this way, or be quiet, or you must leave, you got to go, you got to sit down, you got to be quiet. It's the way God has called us. In order for civilization to work together and promote and protect and serve and provide and guard the grace that God wants us, wants for us, because he is just good to have and he provides, and it's just good for us to have it and he provides it. He's chosen to distribute his justice and grace and mercy to franchise it, guys, to authorities of his middle management all over the world. And we respect the office and the officer because we respect the founder and CEO, God, who has established and put them there to mediate his good for us. So on one hand, David's advice to not let his head go down peacefully. <laughs> I love the way it sounds. It's so wrong. But it was okay. And Solomon had every right as the king. This is hard to hear, I know, because we don't live in this day and age. Well, we sort of do. But he has every right as the king to exercise his wisdom to then execute those who are traitors and guilty of treason and extortion and all kind of unauthorized killing and brutality. The people who were killed were not innocent. Who could make, we're talking about people who could make Israel an unsafe place and get in the way of the good, and, good of Solomon's rule and Israel's prosperity. So taking the advice of his Dave, father David, Solomon got rid of Joab, who schemed with Adonijah to take the throne and who had a history of being a bad cop and did little underhanded things to try to help the king, king David and kingdom and himself. And then the Bible tells us Solomon has Adonijah killed. When Adonijah asked to marry one of the just dead King David's concubines that he left behind, which could be read as disrespectful and just another attempt to get the throne, since back then if you were strutting around with anyone the king officially paid to sleep with, then you were saying you were on the level. Adonijah could be bad for business and even lead more astray. So David had him killed. And then the, this passage tells us that Solomon defrocks and retires a priest who tried to ordain Adonijah the king during the attempted coup and promises that if he even as much opens a storefront church or lead a small group Bible study in town, he'll be joining the large group in heaven. Y'all understand? <laughs> he got it. And then poor Shammai, who taunted and straight roasted David in front of everyone after he was, you know, run out of the kingdom by his son. And he, yeah, he had another son who tried to take the throne, Absalom, right? And David got kicked out the kingdom, and when he was coming back all humble, Shammai threw rocks at him and said, you, you're just a bum, basically. Look at you. Left your kingdom. Look at you. Ain't nothing. It was kind of hard for David to hear it, considering that he's a Benjamite, the Bible says, which means he was from Saul's family, the king before David, his rival. Well, even though Shammai repented and David gave him mercy and asylum as he promised, David thought it would be a good idea to clean up the kingdom from people who were from rival cans like Shammai. So, David, so Solomon exiles Shammai. Shammai, God, that's a drink, ain't it? Like a good beer. Shammai to homeland arrest and tells him that if he crosses back over on this side of town, that he is dead. And one day Shammai leaves to chase down some employees who took an extended break after getting paid in advance. And Solomon kills him. 
for being disobedient. Now, I say this very carefully. And this isn't the end of the sermon, okay? <laughs> so don't leave now if you can help it. Knowing that there is more to the story that we'll see. But these acts were fine. Because Solomon sat on the throne of God. In a place of authority after God's design had the right. God's design. He had the right by God in Solomon's wise assessment to bring justice and security to the kingdom at the time by having Joab, Adonijah, Shammai executed and the priest defrocked. The Bible even says this in the last verse of chapter 2. And you have it in your reading. So the kingdom was established in Solomon's hand. Solomon took hold of the God-given authority and power and right given to him as king, just like you and I do as mothers and fathers when we discipline our children or prevent them from going out with someone or to a place that will harm them. And when we men sometimes go downstairs with a weapon of choice in hand, a bat, a golf club, others a phone with 9-1 dialed with your finger on the other one, right? It's the same as having a classroom under your control and leadership after some have suffered detention or quiet lunch or recess or even suspended from school. Now kids can learn. Establish in your hand as God has called it in large part to be. But this God puts authorities in place stuff makes us all nervous. I know it does me and should. At some point, especially considering all that we've seen and what I just learned this week about the shooting of a six-year-old sitting in the car with his dad who appeared to be running from police. Two officers shot into the car at two civilians, one just six years old. Or even the second Great Depression steal and golden parachute Wall Street jumps by people we trusted and gave authority over our money in retirement. <laughs> Stories go on and on and include stuff like child and spousal abuse and spiritual abuse and abuse of power and on and on. Our belief about authorities being sent by God or given by God is really beginning to fade. I know it is for me. It's hard. So as much as there is a God-given glory, weight, and respect given by God to his middle management, I would call him, there is a big gap in God's call to middle management. What that means is that the same offices of authority that are given weight by God and we are called to obey and follow and trust have taken their positions and used their God-designed and desired positions and used them and abused them for something more or less. So titles now, like officer and daddy, or papa, or mother, or mama, or father, or reverend, or priest, right? Or president, or prime minister, or general, or cleric, or doctor, or even honey and baby can mean and be titles, mean and be titles of shame and abuse and letdown and hurt and injustice and fear and mistrust and death and destruction, all kind of embarrassment, and even worse for some of you, mean nothing at all. Authority is not only scary, but non-existent for many of us in different ways. As much as we can see and understand why Solomon was wise to deal with enemies to Israel and his throne with swift justice, we also see that the motives and judgment were largely vengeful and personal for his father and him. Take Joab for a minute. When we look at Joab's actions, David flourished from Joab's underhanded killings. And while David was on top, he sure didn't bother to bring Joab to justice then. 
David loved that bad cop and turned the other way when things were going his way. And then Solomon orders Joab killed by his new trigger, trigger man, Benai, at the altar. And when the, law of God, when the law of God says that shouldn't be done in there like that, just fudging God's law for the sake of God's authority, right? Breaking the law. And then Shammai, whom David pardoned, was exiled really because he's from another political party. But here's the thing with Shammai. He left his house to chase down some on-the-clock out-to-lunch workers. He, when he did that, he didn't actually cross the border that Solomon set up technically, but Solomon sent his trigger man over the line to kill Shammai anyway. It was one of those close-enough-to-kill-him things, right? He kind of disobeyed the law in spirit. He probably is going to cross over anyway, so let's get him before he does, right? I can't go into it all, but there is so much political maneuvering in these killings not based on Bible-based legal or moral principle. I don't have time to get into it. You just got to trust that I studied it. But the motives are just bad. In so many ways and okay in so many ways. This just, it's terrible the way this thing works, right? And it comes out in the judgment and the justice dealt out, dealt out. They weren't consistent and fair, though they had all the power and right to carry this out as a royal family king. Face it, David is double-sided in his old age. He's giving good, godly advice as a father and former king who loved God and whom God loved and prospered. But there is a gap here because he's also and can't help being self-serving in his request because he's human and broken. Look at what David says about himself in verse 1. When David's time um, to die drew near, he commanded Solomon's son, saying, what about himself? I am about to go the way of the earth. Be strong and show, show yourself a man. The way of the earth is death. Why? Because of the penalty and judgment of sin on our bodies as human beings. And sometimes even for the man who wrote Psalms, and most of the Psalms was close to God and played the little heart for Jesus, and, and ap the appetite and drive of sinful flesh gets him. And for even David, the greatest king of Israel, bloodthirsty political vengeance combined with self-righteousness was eating him alive. So he used, no, let me say, he abused his place as Solomon's father and then as a one-time king to inject truth and political poison. And Solomon took it and ran with it and even went further, beginning with the killing of his own half-brother uh, half Adonijah. And David would have never done, gone that far, I don't believe, based on his past feelings. So Solomon, yes, poisoned by vengeance and his father, poli father's political strong arming, did bad all by himself and was even a little extra with his regulating of things. And now do you see the gap? Look at the language here between verse 46 that you have and verse 12. This was before Solomon even did anything. Before he killed anybody. Look at verse 12. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father. And what? His kingdom was firmly established. Where was he sitting? In the place God had provided. It was pure. It was good. It was right. God's authority. Sitting and doing what he should do as king. But then look at the last verse after all the killings. In the second half. So the kingdom was established in who? The hand of Solomon. 
Do you see the gap? In one sense, Solomon had a firm grip on being able to do what God wanted through him as king. But he also had a human, self-righteous, strong-arm grip gotten by not-so-just not means. God is in control. God called me to do this. And I got some control too now. Okay, let's straighten this out. Broken people, poisoned by their personal ambitions and faulty sense of what is wise or expedient and convenient. And guys, let's just say mistake prone. And who easily mix, who easily mix up and confuse and combine and replace in their God-given call of authority, they mix it up with their own, are in charge all over the place. <laughs> and some are worse than others. So the place and call or idea of, of leadership and authority is not bad, but the people in those places are bad and can do bad and good. You know what the word chancellor means? An usher. A guard of the court. Whose court? God's court of justice. In generosity and welfare, a chancellor is called to usher you in to God's grace and mercy, not to take it for themselves, but simply to show you the way and get what God has for you and bring it back. Awesome, a chancellor. I love that name. Do you know who the chancellor of Germany was from 1938 to 1945? You guessed it. Chancellor Adolf Hitler. Good title. Good calling. As one called to usher a nation to humanity's good, but instead took them to one of greatest, humanity's greatest historical disgraces. Let me warn those who are in authority in some way, somewhere, even if you're taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. Why? Are you secure in doing what God calls you? How is your position secure? You must ask yourself, we must all ask ourselves, is it because we have our world and its people oppressively, deceptively, and self-righteously, and some of us even religiously, abusively, unjustly, or with mixed self-motives in a strangled grip by the neck, secure in our hands? And why are we tempted and fall to lead like that? Because like Solomon and David, we are insecure and oppressed ourselves. <laughs> or because we have skeletons in our closet, or, or maybe scared or incompetent in some way, or feeling that, that, that need to, to have the God complex. Let me say this, for the unfair treatment, God complex, because you don't really believe you have a God who will care for it. Let me say this. For the unfair mistreatment and neglect some of you dads have for your kids and some of you husbands have for your wives and some of you bankers have for your clients, some of your bosses have for your underpaid, overworked employees and some of you lawyers with your backroom deals to just get it done and some of you teachers and principals and school superintendents to treat some of our schools like zoos where we're rare breed kids, we can get that, that we can have people come so we can get Title I money for containing, containing them instead of truly educating them. Be afraid. Be aware. Be sobered. Wake up. Listen up, because God has come to close the gap of middle management. 
by sending his own son. Look at verses 1 through 4. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon as his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. That's why he says in verse 12, right? That's why verse 12 says the kingdom was firmly established when Solomon sat on the throne of David. You know what? David is declaring to Solomon more than a political theory in these first four verses, but a spiritual supernatural promise from God that the throne of Israel, get this, will be forever. The word here means for all eternity. There will be somebody on the throne. That Get this, Solomon's throne was established by God the king, and after him it will be filled. But we know that it will not be filled just by a human being, a mere human, but be filled with God himself as king. See, Solomon and David and all the kings sat on an eternal king, throne that was built as an eternal throne for an eternal king. Or a king who could and would lead with perfect justice and integrity and power and peace and love and mercy. See, Solomon and David were temporary managers of an eternal franchise. Do you know what the Bible calls Jesus? The king of kings, right? Are you getting it? Yet Solomon, all leaders to follow him, rule at the local franchise store level, the outpost, the local middle management level of a kingdom and purpose of an unseen and possibly unknown boss. It is safe to say that the manager at the local McDonald's might get fired or retired, but Ronald McDonald is here to stay, right? And if the manager keeps using buns with no sesame seeds, we're calling the golden arches the golden arcs. <laughs> you better watch Coming to America to get this one. And putting out the Big Mick instead of the Big Mac with no special sauce. Mr. McDonald's will fire a bad or fraudulent manager and just pass the clip on tie to someone else, right? What am I saying? Every boss, hear me now, every boss in this world Every leader in this world, every place of authority ordained by God and franchise of his mercy, justice, and peace, and love has a boss. So that God's king and kingdom will not fail even if the kings and countries and companies and families under them do because Jesus the king is the king of kings and comes to fill that gap. You ever seen the reality show Undercover Boss? I've watched it a couple times. Once you've seen it once, you've seen them all. Where the head of some big company, who most of the employees and managers have never seen before up close, 
Well, this boss, this CEO owner dresses down like middle management or a regular old employee and goes to work and gets to see and experience the company and people he leads from the inside out. And sometimes he recognizes that some people are trying to do well and serve well, but they need some inside and outside help. And then he may see some people who are not good leaders and have problems, who lack training, who have no idea what the operation manual says. And so just lead from the top of their head and heart and passion. And then at the end, they meet him. And he reveals that he's been with them the whole time. And people are like, oh, my gosh. And I know what they're thinking. Did he see me do something wrong? I'm fired. But it turns out to be good for the workers. Securing and good and prosperous for the company and middle management that their boss went and came undercover with and for them. The king of kings. The authority behind the authorities, the boss of the world's bosses, came under the cover of human flesh 2,000 years ago and revealed himself as the one who always was, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, who sat on the eternal throne that David and Solomon occupied. And he let them know in their shock and awe that as the King of kings, who by being born into the world became a subject, he became a citizen, he became a son, he became an employee and that he saw and knew and experienced all the good and all the bad that he had come to change things and make them right. In verses 1 through 4, David announced his own curse and blessing in being a king. Because God was not going to let them deal with it alone. He was not going to let them keep being evil kings of his people. He had a king who would bring justice because as promised, he would not lose the kingdom of his grace just because they messed up in their leadership. That he would not stop being a just and merciful God because they were unjust and tyrannical. But that they, the kings who should be horrified by the penalty of crossing their boss God and those they lead would find and seek mercy and help in the gap of leadership from the king who sits on the eternal throne. Even King David, throughout the scriptures, expressed his brokenness and need for a king. For his kingship. Are you a poor leader? <laughs> Maybe not in your mind in general, but sometimes. Do you have a poor leader? Do you feel oppressed by the government that the Lord put in place and called you to respect? Are you being abused by or abusing power? Are you failing in, failing in your God-given responsibilities? Are your motives mixed with selfishness and ambition and fraud of the soul? Are you a liar who is called to tell and live the truth for others? And are you left out or left being and enslaved and incarcerated in poverty or profiling or fear? Do you believe you're living in a world of taxation without any just representation? Do you need mercy and justice and don't see it? The benefits and promise of God's mercy and justice and peace and power and prosperity are not held back by the actions of temporary authority, even though he might still use them. But they are held as yes and amen in the hands of the promise, eternal king and kingdom. Everything God intends to give you through God-ordained authorities is and will be yours either now or later but definitely 
forever. So good news, rest. Weep, cry out, repent, fall down, protest to your leaders for some exercise of civil disobedience, march, rally, write a letter, bring revolutionary change in society, quit your oppression, oppressive supporting job, blow the whistle. Why? So that not only your leaders can hear and see in your protest the eternal word of God for authorities who have failed and fallen and who needs God to step in, all but do it as an extension of prayer right? Your protest is a prayer of public expression to God for the authorities. It is like going to the boss and saying, see this, see us, Lord, for the sake of mercy and justice. We all do this. When the customer service agent you're talking to the phone hits the dead end, or even as a humble customer agent, have you failed to give them or don't have the power strength within yourself to give them free cable for a month because your TV went out? What do we always say? Let me talk to your supervisor. I was so mad my cable wasn't working the other day. I mean, yesterday. And the games came on, too. Don't take my idol out. Just kidding. But <laughs> I was like, Look, the first person answered the phone, I'm like, look, I know you ain't the one. <laughs> I said, I don't mean to be rude. I'm already angry. I already turned it off. I already sent the signal to the thing. I know the script y'all going to go through. If you have a script in front of you, could you please, please give me the person who doesn't work with the script? I need the person who can fix it now. Sir, I'm not reading a script. I know. <laughs> but you ain't the one. I can tell, because the one don't answer the phone first, right? <laughs> and sometimes it's like that in our world of authority. The one is not the first one you always see. It's time we commit to not only praying to Jesus, our supervisor and undercover boss, but talk and live for the law and grace, mercy and justice of our king. He has come to bless us. As I mentioned, there is a big gap between God's glory and the way earthly authority works. And we see it between verse 12 and the eternal perfect throne in the hands of the earthly king Solomon mentioned in verse 46. There's so much wiggle room of uncertainty between what God wants and what our authorities actually accomplish. So this is what the king of kings did like the king has talked about in verses 1 through 4. He was obedient. He was an obedient heavenly king of the eternal throne of God. And then in verse 46, with one hand, he held on to his obedience to God. And with the other, he was nailed to the cross for the oppression, injustice, and bad leadership and corruptness caused by our sin. It is safe to say that what it means, that is what it means to be the king of kings. Like an undercover boss. To hang. To live. To mediate for our good, for our peace, for our forgiveness. To hang there on the cross. 
in the gap of middle management that we feel every day, Jesus hangs there for you. He's the connection. This is a real faith step. This is not normal. This is not regular. When I say you turn to your king, who is the king of kings, for the sake of your authorities, the Bible says pray for those who are in authority over you that you may live peaceably on earth. Now, I looked at that and I realized the least peaceful people in the kingdom, in kingdoms at the time were first century early Christians. So it's not talking about no peace, like no protest or, or no making a difference in society. That's not what it's talking about. Why do we pray for our authorities so that we can receive peace? We're talking about the peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray for our authorities because we actually pray to the authority. That's what it means to pray for your authority. You pray to the authority, over the authorities, and you take peace not in what this mere man or woman can do, but you can rest and have peace in what our Lord has done and can do. If you protest... If you write a letter, if you challenge your leaders, do so in the word, right? And rest and grace of Jesus Christ. Not your words, not your anger, not your disappointment, but greater than your anger, greater than your disgust. But the disgust and anger shown on the cross. The greatest protest in human history happened when Jesus came to protest for your soul. And the authorities and leaders of the world must take notice. But God's people have to take notice first. He stands for the glory and in the gap of middle management. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your glory, for the way you stand in the gap for us. You're so good to us. We thank you that the first person we see, you've put in place to do your bidding, to franchise your justice and mercy. Thank you, Lord. But we thank you that the first person we see it doesn't have the last word, but you do because you are the king of kings and you sit on an eternal throne firmly established in your grace. Help us to live faithfully to that even when we can't see it, even in our anger. Help us realize our, hang our anger is nothing compared to yours. Even in our fear to lead, Lord, there are so many here who are leaders, who are authorities, who are officers, who are principals, who are teachers, who are mothers and fathers and bosses. Have mercy on us, God. We scare too. We don't know what to do all the time. Help us. You be the boss. You supervisor. Give us what we need to, to, to love and live. Please, we need it. 
Keep your people prayerful. Even in protest as a prayer to you. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.